the values system of a company guides the actions of the engineers who work at that company. Some companies value open communication and a flat organization where anybody can talk to anyone else. Other companies encourage hierarchy and secrecy so that employees are only focused on their specific section of the company. Some companies take themselves seriously, and they have a work environment that is as stoic as the military. Other companies pride themselves on having good beer and a friendly, laid-back atmosphere. When company values are properly defined, the values can be used as reference points when making decisions. At Amazon, one of the core company values is bias for action. As an engineer, you're often in a situation where you can wait for more information or you can start a project immediately with an incomplete picture of how you're going to finish it. The bias for action lets you know that at Amazon you should usually start the project despite having an incomplete picture. Another use of a company's value system is for hiring. When a company publishes their values, prospective employees can use those stated values as a way to know if they would be a good cultural fit. For example, move fast and break things was a value that allowed Facebook to ship new products faster than any other company before it. But the speed of movement is not for every engineer. Some engineers like to have their code unit tested and free of all bugs before shipping to production. Every company has values that define that company. And every engineer has values that define how that engineer wants to work. Lynn Tai started her company Key Values as a platform to index companies by their value systems. This allows engineers to find companies that are in good cultural fit for their value system. Lynn joins the show today to explain how engineers and companies define their own value systems and how that affects the outcomes of engineering organizations. Lynn also talks about her time at Homejoy, which was one of the first companies in the gig economy. Homejoy was an on-demand house cleaning service that grew extremely fast, but ultimately it went under due to lawsuits. The challenges of Homejoy were a predictor of the challenges that were later faced by Uber and Airbnb. And it was fascinating to hear Lynn reflect on her time spent managing operations at Homejoy, which was about as operationally intensive a company as you can possibly imagine. Thanks to Cortland Allen for the intro to Lynn, and if you haven't checked out Cortland's podcast, The Indie Hackers Podcast, you should subscribe to it. Indie Hackers breaks down the engineering and the business models behind small software companies. It's one of my favorite shows, and I really encourage you to check it out because there's probably significant overlap between the audiences that Indie Hackers would appeal to and Software Engineering Daily. So thanks for listening, and let's get on with the show. Lynn Tai is the founder of Key Values. Lynn, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. We're talking today about company values and how that pertains to an engineering team. You have built a platform called Key Values. We'll get into what the platform does. But first of all, how do you define values as they pertain to engineering teams? Oh, that's a good question. So unlike company values... Um, core values, which are a little bit different. The way that I've defined values for my website is these are things that engineers like you or me care about and prioritize when we're evaluating different job opportunities. So if you want to join a team that you know really is light on meetings because you really don't like having meetings, that is an important value to you as an example. So there's an important distinction between the value system of a company and the value system that is implemented by the engineering teams within that company? Yeah, in many cases, I think core company values are, they're, they're really helpful for keeping the company you know, unified and cohesive, but sometimes it's really unclear how that actually translates to the day-to-day you know, operations or practices or behaviors on the engineering team. And any engineer can probably say this if they've worked at a larger company. Sometimes those core company values really manifest themselves differently for, you know, the sales team versus the engineering team. So key values really gets at the values for the engineering team specifically. Yeah, it just helps them kind of look for teams based on those values. So those 
the values of the individual teams, those do tend to be downstream values from the company values. I, from from my point of view, would you agree with that? Yes, or- I would say. I mean, actually, I wouldn't say that's always yes. And it really mm-hmm. depends on the size of the company. And really, you know, I in some ways, there's subcultures within an engineering department. So, you know, an infrastructure team, you know, behaves in a different way. The day-to-day looks different than, you know, a team that works more closely with designers and um, has a lot of product managers and are, you know, the marketing team, for instance. Mm-hmm. So I think it really does vary. And ultimately, you know, it's nothing about whether or not core company values are true or good or anything like that. It's really just going almost like bottom up in terms of what do you want in your day-to-day work life. Mm-hmm. I see. Do engineers know what their own values are? Because you know, <laughs> if, if, you know, if we've got these different engineering teams across the landscape of different companies, ideally, if I'm an engineer... I should know what my values are so that I can match to the engineer, you know, some engineering team that would fit with that value set that I have. So do most engineers know their own set of values? I'm laughing a little because I want to say that it's mixed. I I would say since working on key values, I didn't really realize how many people don't know what's important to them. And to be fair, I think it takes a lot of experience you know, figuring out what matters to you. I mean, just like anything else in life, you don't really know if you like or dislike something until you've had a lot of experiences. So I would say that in some ways, my goal with key values is to help engineers identify what those values are and get paint a better picture of what they're looking for. Because no, I don't think everyone, you know, is has a real is like able to articulate what they're looking for. So no, it's a tricky question. I think that it takes a lot of introspection and evaluation and reevaluation because let's be honest I think values change and they evolve so even for me my values have have definitely shifted and matured over the last few years so it's something that takes a lot of uh, continuous reflection and I don't think many people are diligent about doing that type of reevaluation if I'm an engineer, how should I go about defining those values? Was there an exercise I can go through to figure out who I am as a, uh, you know, as a, a value set holding engineer? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a few ways. So, kind of how I actually started doing this long before I started doing key values. Actually, a good friend of mine. I was, you know, really confused about what I wanted to do with my career. I had actually just dropped out of grad school and was like super lost. And a friend of mine said, I should just sit down and make a list of my top 10 personal values. Just like what are the most important things to me in life and things I wouldn't trade up for, you know, trade anything else for and kind of rank them. And that exercise, I was like, yeah, I'll do that in an hour and then let's talk. (laughs) And it took me like several days to really think about what matters to me most. And, you know, I think it's sometimes... It's easy to look at a long list and be like, yep, these are great. I love this. You know, humor, health, you know, family. These are all great. I check them all. But it's another thing to really, you know, say which ones you would choose over another and then rank them. When you're given a limited list, it really, you know, forces you to prioritize. And I think that's a really good start. And then, of course, how that translates to work. Some of those values, hopefully, I mean, this is different for each person, but sometimes those values should translate to how you behave at work. You know, maybe you want to work with people who share your personal values. If, you know, actually those examples I I gave, family and like health are really important to you, then it's probably a good idea to align those with your work culture and and your coworkers. Hmm. But I think that's one way. And of course, the harder, slower way is just if you work with lots of different teams, you will very quickly figure out what you prefer. Um, And I don't think there's right or wrong answers at all. Um, It's really just comes down to preference and also what's appropriate for that time of your life, you know, those things change. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that gets to the re-evaluation thing. I I certainly am not the same engineer today as I was five years ago or even two years ago. I have different values. Those values have morphed. Your company, Key Values, indexes the different value systems of different companies, what are some of the values that you have looked at that a company may or may not exhibit? Or I guess I should say the engineering team at that company. 
So wait, sorry. Can you explain what you mean by that? So, so you're saying like, oh, so so you've got this list of you've got this list of values like customer comes first or uses agile or eats lunch together. Basically, I can click on these different values on your website, and I can find the engineering teams that are going to align with that value. So what are some of these these values and these categories that you manage to break the different engineering teams into? Oh, I mean, so each engineering team on key values, there's a list of, you know, 44 values and engineering teams are limited to six or sorry, eight of those values. <laughs> and they have to also, like what I mentioned before, are uh, rank these. So if you choose on any given value, there are many teams that have not selected that value and therefore you won't, they won't be filtered through. So really what I mentioned earlier in terms of that personal exercise I did a few years ago is what I'm asking each engineering team to do themselves. Um, I give them a list of preset values and they have to, you know, they work together to identify the ones that best describe their engineering culture um, and their practices and their operations. And then they qualify each of those in their profile. Mm -hmm. So when you go to key values and you click on one of those, you're really seeing which ones, which teams also chose that in their top eight. I think that values are related to culture. There's some relationship there. Maybe the culture is an abstraction of all the different values blended together. And when I've talked to people about company culture, some people say culture is what we are. We are X. We are we get omelets for breakfast as a team every day. These are the things that we do. Other people say that their culture is that we are not X. We do not ever put cheese on our omelets as an engineering team. I just had eggs for breakfast. and <laughs> can't tell. <laughs> what, what, are, what are the most divisive values? Like, what are the things that I can look at and, and some companies are going to say, we are not this. And other people will proudly say, we are this. That's a really good question. I think, so before I even answer that with actual examples, there are a lot of companies when I talk to them that say certain things, but they still aren't quite comfortable sharing that publicly. And I think that's kind of like my goal also with key values is making sure people feel proud standing by who they are, even if it's not, you know, what they think is, and I'm doing air quotes here, <laughs> what they think is like the right thing to say. But ones that people feel comfortable about usually have to do with like their strategy. A great example is fast-paced environment. Some teams are like, this is exactly who we are. This describes everything about each of the individuals that make up our, you know, our team. And then other companies, you know, are like, we have nothing to do with that fast-paced environment culture. Like we're very thoughtful, we're cautious. I think fast-paced environment kind of touches broadly and can relate to other departments in a company. But when it comes to coding, there's another value, uh, risk-taking over stability. And I think this kind of also touches on you know, when it comes to pushing code, are you going to prioritize being fast or are you going to prioritize being perfect? And I don't care what anyone says, you really cannot be both. Um, of course, there's times where you can prioritize one over the other, in which case the whole goal is for someone to explain those, like those situations. But really, you can't be both of those things. And there are some teams who really like lean towards velocity and they're all about breaking things. One of my, the teams that I profiled, Amplitude, you know, they are you know, they would definitely lean towards uh, releasing and reverting versus spending a lot of time perfecting code. And of course, there are other companies who, you know, spend a lot of time making sure that things have been thoroughly tested. There's multiple reviewers before they even, you know, merge, merge that code. So I think those are really good examples and are very divisive. Of course, there's the other one is has good beer. <laughs> That's probably been the most controversial value on the list. I think just given the current climate in Silicon Valley, alcohol, the workplace <laughs> is just very controversial. But I've been getting more teams that aren't based in, in the Bay. Like companies in Germany are like, yeah, has good beer. That's a huge part of who we are and how we socialize. Um, and that's, it's just a different, you know, it's a different scenario, I suppose. And things are a little sensitive in, in the Bay. So, mm. um, but yeah, that's another very divisive value. When I click on creative and innovative, then I get a list of companies that have identified with that specific value. They've said, we are creative and innovative. 
we want to be categorized with having that value. So this is on your on your website. So I can click into one of the companies. I can click into Pocket Gems, which is listed as a, one of the creative and innovative companies. And it tells me then it tells me like more about how they are, how they work, who they are, what goes on at Pocket Gems. So if I'm looking for a job, I'm looking for a company to work at, I can use this as a platform to learn more about companies. Once I have that information, what should I do with it? I mean, do, am I am I just looking at this information in order to find out this, you know, oh, it, does this company fit with my Gestalt? Oh, man, I, if you find a team that you love and it speaks to you and you feel excited about, apply. <laughs> I think a lot of people come to key values, whether they're actively or passively looking for a new job. I think it's really educational just to see what's out there. And that's a whole another thing I can talk about. I really feel like right. people lack exposure to other teams. Yeah, actually, I kind of want to dive into this because I've been thinking about this a lot. Sure. Is that a lot of... So I compare looking for a job to dating. And I always say there's all these parallels. But one way that they're extremely different is that when you're in a relationship, you're constantly exposed to other examples of relationships and you know partners you even if you're single or in a relationship you meet other singles or couples and you hear about other couples and you see how other couples interact with one another you know you might go to a barbecue and this couple you just meet they're talking about how every year they both take a week off from work and then they spend you know there's just like an example of things they do and you're like hey you know that's i like that we should do that too to whoever your significant other is but when you're working on a team at a company, it's rare that you are exposed to seeing how other teams work and interact with each other. Like, it's just really, for me, I don't think I ever did when I was working full-time at a company. I mean, maybe there's conferences, so you meet other people, or even if you go to happy hours, like, you, you can kind of see how they interact with each other in that type of setting. But it's really rare to just see how other, comp- like how other groups of people you know, collaborate or how they communicate or how they, you know, make really important decisions where there are major trade-offs. I think there's just, there's just not a lot of exposure there. So anyways, I was just, that's my long thing about how I think people should read profiles anyway, just because they're really educational. I've learned so much doing this, but to answer your question about, you know, if you click a value and then find a team that matches and read it, I mean, it really is kind of a self-filtering tool. Sometimes teams define something um, and it just doesn't speak to you. And that's okay. Uh, My hope is that it saves you the time of, you know, applying, doing the technical phone screen, doing the the take-home challenge, doing whiteboarding challenges, and then, you know, visiting the company for an on-site interview. You know, you usually have to do all those things first before you actually get to meet the team and have them describe, like, tell me how you're creative and innovative. So really, it's just saving people time um, to learn a little bit more about the team before they go through all the trouble. And of course, if you read, you know, uh, Pocket Gems is a great example. I didn't know what they meant by creative and innovative until I worked with them. And their team is like extremely creative. And I just, it means like visual artists. They have a lot of designers. They're all about storytelling. Pocket Gems makes mobile games. So they have, you know, a lot of their, their team members used to like work on movie production or they've written, you know, they've been writers for TV shows that many of us have watched. Like it's that type of creativity. And if that is exciting to someone, they should absolutely by all means learn more and apply. Yeah. And you, you make some really good points. I've worked at probably five or six different companies throughout internships and, you know, jobs that I left quickly, jobs that I stayed at for a longer period of time and each of the cultures was radically divergent. There was, I can't, I'm thinking back now, and there was not any two companies that were extremely similar. And this may be uh, surprising to people who have not worked at many companies or people who have not worked at any companies. There's just radically different cultures um, within the company. I think there are, there's a lot of, you know, within the company, what whatever culture the company has, it does bleed down into the engineering teams. So the way that you get the information about these companies, the different categories that they fall into, the different, uh, you know, they each choose 10 values that make up their key values. I think it's 10. Eight. 
eight. Eight. Okay. I misspoke earlier too. It's okay. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So eight values. Are you interviewing each of these companies to find out what their values are? Yeah. In the very beginning, um, I would usually I have the team spend some time choosing the first their eight values. But then when I interview, I would really ask deep, you know, deep dive questions, things that if I was a candidate, you know, applying for a job on your team, I would really, you know, want to know more about. So if a company says that they have work-life balance, I would ask, you know, I have probably five or 10 questions lined up just asking what they mean by that. So I would do these interviews, record them, um, and then, of course, work with them to put it into, into writing. There were times where if a company struggled to really talk about a given value, you know, I would suggest that maybe they think of another value because if you can't, if you choose a value and you can't talk about it at length, it's probably not accurate. It's probably something that sounds nice, but isn't something that actually describes who you are and, you know, how your team operates together. So yeah, that's every team chooses their own values and they have complete control over the content in their profiles. And I'm just really there as like a coach or a cheerleader in some cases to help them put it into words. Mm. Do you have a standardized set of questions or do you have ways where you provoke them into talking about the things that they may not know how to express? Yeah, so I've gotten a lot better at this. In the beginning, I was kind of learning the process too. Um, So since I've launched, I actually don't do in-person or video interviews anymore. I do have a list of prompts and things that help people, you know, get unstuck if they get stuck writing. And uh, these really help teams figure out what types of, you know, what type of uh, content they should be curating for each of these, for each of their value selections. But yeah, definitely some teams need a lot more help than others. And it's been really interesting to just see how it, how it varies. Hmm. When you talk, I I don't think these companies are indexed on key values, but when you talk to the engineering teams or people who work at engineering teams at places like Google or Facebook or Apple, how do they look at values, the the, the values of their engineering team? Or have you talked to people like that? Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to know tons of (laughs) companies living in San Francisco. I live with several Google employees or I have lived with several Google employees. It's interesting. I mean, I think why I... started this is because it's it's good to know what the company culture is like at large but it's really just it's rare for a company that's large like Google for the culture to be super consistent across every team um, and again it just depends on like what product it is or how many people are on that team or you know like you know if you're working with four people let's just say a small team and there are teams that are you know that size at bigger companies, like maybe the four of you agree that you can start your day at 11 a.m., you know, and that happens. So I think it's like small things like that that really aren't captured with big company goals or company values. But generally, I'd say that people think values do hold some truth to like the company values to their own individual teams. But there's a lot more information that a job seeker would want to know before applying or accepting an offer to that team. And so what I'm really trying to get at is exposing that lower level granular like information early on. Hmm. Because it's it's great to know that a company, you know, like we all we all, you know, we prioritize integrity. I think that's great. You know, I definitely nothing <laughs> I'm not a naysayer. But if you're working day to day, you want to know how that actually affects your, you know, like what time you show up who you work with. Are you sitting with people that are also engineers or are you sitting alongside sales people? It's just little things like that that don't really get touched on. Actually, earlier you mentioned eats lunch together. Like that's not a, that's usually not a company core value. Like we eat lunch together, Mm -hmm. but that's something that's important and it happens every single day. And people want to know what that time is, what that time is like. Um, Am I going to eat lunch at my desk alone? Or am I going to eat with everybody? Or maybe lots of companies do this, which I've learned, is they um, combine lunchtime with talks or lunch and learns or demos or something that's, you know, both in line with their company's goals, but also it's social and collaborative. So I think those things are important to touch on. Right. One thing I'm a little bit confused about. So 
this is so key values is not about the company values itself. It's about the values of the engineering teams, but Correct. but there are different engineering teams within a given company. Is this just for companies that are small enough where the culture of the engineering team is pretty unified? Uh, no, that's a great question. So originally, yes, I wanted to just focus on small engineering teams. And some companies like, so for example, Udacity and Postmates, these have you know many engineering teams, but the profile is for a specific one. So I'm really trying to look at the team level and capture some of the differences that I mentioned before. Um, like I said, different there's there's variance between uh, the subcultures of team of engineering teams at a bigger org. So that's definitely something that I'm trying to get at. And also, there are teams that have, you know, multiple pods or you know, teams or groups or however they organize their, themselves. But because people transfer from teams. So often it is actually very consistent. And so they choose to create a profile that talks about their entire engineering department. So going back to those to those big companies, I don't know if you've read about this much or talked to many people about this. That, Like when I was at Amazon, the company values were so ingrained in the culture that they seemed to come up in every meeting. And they seemed to be a framework for how people made decisions. They made, It was... They were so impactful that they they definitely affected the decision-making structure of the individual engineering teams that were under the umbrella of Amazon. And it really made me think about how those huge companies get the values to permeate the large organization. Even if we're just talking about the engineering team. My cat is in the background meowing really loudly. You're probably hearing that. <laughs> It's normally Here she wants to be fed. <laughs> no, he doesn't want to be fed. He's he's got this thing where uh, anytime he sees light against the wall, he freaks out. So <laughs> so light that is coming in from the windows is is uh, against the wall, and it's because I played with a laser pointer with him when he was really young, yeah, and uh, ask. <laughs> it trauma it tra- actually traumatized him. Oh, this man. is like totally divergent, but but people should. Uh, I think laser, for some cats, laser pointers are terrible because they they constantly are trying to catch the light and they never catch it because they just no, it's horrible. It is horrible. <laughs> it's torture. Yeah. So, but and it's trauma. It's, it's completely traumatizing. So now, any time type of light he sees, he chases. So, anyway, the question I was just going to ask was like, this is actually relevant for small companies too because the co- the companies they want the culture that they establish to permeate the the broader organization so like you know at facebook they do this with the propaganda posters on the wall uh i'm sorry not propaganda posters but things like you know move fast and break things you'll see these throughout mm-hmm. the place and they get the culture to to really scale and to adopt the different values within that organization have you seen that be important to the to the companies that you talk to like ways that they do get the values to permeate the different areas of the organization oh man absolutely i think I mean, it's actually funny. I was just talking to someone um, from the AWS team, and they mentioned like it just casually in the first email some of the the company's core values. So it's funny that you just said that. Um, I think that's a great example. That's what companies should aspire to do. You shouldn't create values that you just you know this is like what everyone says. Don't create values that you just put on the wall and look nice. You know, it's really like how do you make sure this is integrated with the day to day and how people make decisions, and how people organize, and really how do people hire and retain their employees. So I think that's exactly the goal. And the way that you do this is really by, you know, first choosing values that are easy to, or like it's natural for people at the company to, you know, to, to exhibit. And it really starts with leadership. So my guess, just thinking about this and working with companies of different sizes is it's starting early and, you know, establishing a set of core values that everyone at the company, you know, can, can look to. It's like their North star. And then just again, evaluating constantly within your company. I'm sure Amazon has, you know, evolved their values since their, their inception. And then also it really is one of the purposes for having these values is it keeps people, it gives people guidance in terms of who they should hire. And it's kind of like what I'm getting at with key values is if you should really hire people that are culturally aligned. And I'm guessing most engineers want to join companies that they feel culturally aligned with. So 
Um, ultimately, the way that it permeates across the company is just for the leaders to lead by example. I think, I mean, you can look at all of the horror stories of companies who say one thing and do the complete opposite. I think this is has to do with senior leadership not, you know, not walking the walk. They say one thing and do the opposite. I mean, you know, when you go to a, a company and they give you like, here's our handbook or onboarding papers, you can read what the company says they are, but really you're going to just follow suit based on how the people around you are behaving. So if everyone's doing something or the, the person next to you is getting promoted or rewarded for some type of behavior, then that's what you think the culture is. It doesn't matter what it says in, you know, on the wall or in the handbook. If you really, you know, culture is what people do and how they behave. So yeah, I think it's just walking the walk mm. instead of just talking the talk. <laughs> yeah, this was like, it reminds me of how Enron's values were communication and respect and integrity. Mm-hmm. And at Enron, you had a <laughs> management team that was hiding everything from mm-hmm. the lower level employees. So the communication was terrible. Respect. I think that there was, you know, uh, animosity between the different teams at Enron. They were competing with each other. And of course, integrity, well, there was certainly no integrity at Enron. You know, anybody who has not heard the Enron story should check out the documentary or read about it. But people were parroting the, you know, people were parroting each other. People were, were, were mirroring each other. And it didn't matter what the value system at the top was. Yeah, I, that's. I mean, that's just a classic example of how leadership didn't f- behave in line with their values, with their stated values. And I'm sure there was, you know, even lower level people seeing, like, when you see someone get rewarded or promoted or celebrated or gets they get a shout out at a company all hands for doing something that is really not in line with those values, you throw those out the door. You know, that's that is what the culture is. Mm-hmm. So actions speak louder than words is really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Enron's a really good example of how that did not. <laughs> yeah, that's you hear the horror stories more than the other way. It's it's funny. I feel like just talking about key values with people, a lot of people are scarred or like they just remember the horror stories. <laughs> and it's it's funny because I'm working with engineering teams and the stereotypes are, you know, engineers are introverted. They're great at coding, terrible at selling or talking about themselves. And it's kind of true. I see like almost quite the opposite. I meet these teams who it takes me days working with them to really uncover their best qualities. Mm. And I fall in love with them days after. But at first I'm like, oh yeah, it seems kind of like dry or like they don't, (laughs) this is horrible for me to admit, but there are lots of teams where I'm like not that excited about learning and learning about and working with. But then I realized like they are so fascinating and they have all these practices in place that are, you know, really unique and they have such an opinion and strong personality. They just aren't good at broadcasting them. So in some ways I feel like I'm, it's like the opposite. Like these people have really strong values. They just aren't good at talking about them. So it's like, yeah, it's just, it's been really interesting Mm. for sure. So key values was, I think the first major project that you started building slash the first company that you started building you started to code a few years ago you you started freelancing in order to improve yourself at coding and then you started key values what's been the process for for building it and what has been challenging what has been surprising tell me about that story oh man well learning to code was its own journey (laughs) it's not easy it's really frustrating and hard but i'm so glad that i decided to make that career change. My parents were a little nervous, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and then freelancing taught me a lot. I've heard this from people that say freelancing is like the gateway to entrepreneurship because you kind of get a taste of that freedom and being able to you know, set your own schedule and then it's you know, one thing leads to the next. I started Key Values actually just kind of like I was freelancing and I was looking for you know, potentially a full-time employee job. And it was just so frustrating. I like, it was just not fun at all. uh, Trying to learn about teams. I can't even tell you how many career pages and job descriptions I read. My eyes glazed over. They all look exactly the same. I couldn't even tell what team I was like reading about at some point. And then, yeah, when I started working on key values, it was really just to solve a problem that I had. And, you know, 
my boyfriend's a startup founder, and I constantly hear him talk about how hard it is to hire engineers. So solving a problem for him as well. Yeah, it's. I think I had a lot of imposter syndrome trying to build something myself, and I I still kind of see it as a learning opportunity in terms of、uh, in terms of the engineering aspect. And the most surprising thing. Hmm. I wouldn't say it has to do too, so much with the tech. Actually, you know, sadly, I haven't really been coding that much. Working on key values has really been about the content. So I, I'm, I sadly don't, you know, make many commits these days.、Um, I can relate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I miss it a little bit. But I just think it was really just getting over each hurdle and thinking that it was going to take me forever. And like, I just, you know, so here's the real story: is that I learned to code at I was like 26 years old. Um, I had no, I didn't know anything about coding. I like, I didn't even know if I had to like download a terminal onto my computer. I knew nothing, and I think it just sometimes it's feeling like you're really behind, and like you'll never get there. Like I just felt like everyone had just had a huge head start for me,、um, and I think the hardest part is just like pushing through that. But also the thing that I've learned the most is that if you just work a little bit every day, you'll get there without even. Like you just have to just make them chunkable sizes, and then you'll get there. I don't even know if I just answered your question. No, no, you did, you did, you did. And you know, I can I can definitely relate to the to the content side of things because yeah, I mean, this is this is very. I mean, I think Software Engineering Daily is probably even less of a software company and even more of a content business than、mm-hmm. than Key Values. What what's your perspective on that? Like, cause I I and I and I know you're you're good friends with Corland、uh, Corland Allen.、Mm-hmm. You know he he helped you kind of helped me a lot. Yeah, yeah、uh, and and so and I mean he he has a basically kind of a content business, or it's like it you know Indie Hackers started as like a content maybe a content leaning pl- software platform. Now it seems to be leaning a little more towards the software and the community side of things. Which you know you could see key values going in that direction as well, but you know potentially. What's your thought on the the content business of you know the business around software engineering content? Because it it's, it seems like you know there's more and more people that are coming into software engineering. There's more and more people that are wanting to read content about it. You think there's room for more businesses around content?、Uh, absolutely. I mean, people. I mean, there's more and more people learning. Everyone has a different learning style. I don't ever think there's just one. Like, there'll never just be one way that people want to digest information. Like, a lot of people prefer reading over listening.、Um, podcasts obviously are super popular because some people don't feel like reading and they want to be able to multitask. So I really think, and even within podcasts, I think people, you know, really love a host and the way that they, you know. They they appreciate their opinions and the way they conduct interviews. So I don't think there's ever going to be too much. I'm I'm like thinking about if that's what I really feel, but I definitely feel like there's room for people to continue creating content. There's all sorts of audiences and segments of those audiences that want something different. So、mm. yeah, it's definitely challenging to make sure. Like if you're a software engineer and you're creating one of these sites, it's it's up it's really up to the person to see how they balance. You know. Their focus between, you know, still coding and creating the content.、Um, Cortland's a really good example in terms of he loves coding. Like he, he misses he like misses it in a way that people would get homesick. So I think he just finds ways to give himself challenges sometimes, just so he can you know you know flex that that coding muscle <laughs> of his. Well, the, the other side of things is he obviously went through YC and you know at, at YC and. And this is just an immutable fact of of engineering companies, the the economics you get from having a software company that works are so much better than the economics of having a content business that works. Because the content business, people are purchasing your content, which you have to put a lot of work into every new piece of content. In the software business, you write the software once and you sell it to people, and you get money for the same piece of software that is free to copy、mm-hmm. every single time. Mm-hmm. It's funny because this kind of circles back to like values. It really just depends on what your goals are and what you want.、True. Ultimately, like for me, I think I mean I'm not against making money, but obviously I would, you know, definitely take a pay cut to do something that I'm really excited about. I'm constantly learning. I love meeting new people and learning about their experiences. So for me, those things are you know invaluable and yeah. So I think I mean 
of course, there's all these trade-offs. I think it really just depends on the business and the people behind behind it. If you want to make money and I don't, and that's your primary goal, I'm not sure that making a content site is the, <laughs> the fastest route there. Obviously, I'm not hating on either of us. I think, you know, there's reasons why we're doing what we're doing. But yeah, I think it's just, you have to figure out what works for you and what your values are. Totally. Yeah, and I can completely, it resonates with me. Yeah. You worked at Homejoy before you got in, got into coding, and Homejoy was a really interesting story. It was one of the first gig economy companies, and it was really taking off and getting a lot of momentum. I remember seeing some charts around its growth. Homejoy was a clean, on-demand cleaning company, so I could rec- you know order a cleaner to come to my house and uh, clean my apartment. Mm-hmm. What was it like being at Homejoy as that rocket ship was taking off? Oh man, I it's hard to compare it to anything else I've ever done. Remember now, so Homejoy was my first real job ever, <laughs> so it was pretty funny just because I thought that was like what working was. I had just dropped out of grad school and um, I joined Homejoy a few or maybe like six months later. But for my first job ever, it was quite the experience. It was really exciting. I'm like smiling right now just thinking about it. It was just like a really special time. Everyone there was so passionate. The energy was just like unparalleled. I don't think I've ever worked somewhere quite like that with so many people all on the same page, like working towards this mission. Yeah, that was, it was just really exciting. And it, it definitely like, I'm I'm still kind of like, I mean, obviously, so if people don't know, Homejoy folded. So it was, while it was like skyrocketed up, it also kind of had a, you know, it ended up folding. But the experience of it, especially early on, was just there was like definitely some magic there. I would say. I know it sounds so corny, mm. man. <laughs> no, I, I, well, I mean, you were telling me uh, about it, someone when we when we chatted last mm-hmm. about some of the the grind because there was so much volume on both sides of the marketplace, both supply and demand. There were a whole lot of people who wanted to be cleaners, a whole lot of people who wanted their houses cleaned, and you were managing operations of those two sides of the marketplace. So it sounded intense. Can you maybe relay a couple anecdotes about the intensity? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, first thing is actually just talking about core values. I was actually just curious what home joys were. And I was looking them up the other day. One of them was something like, um, no one's above any job. And that was actually one of my favorite. Like I didn't help come up with these. I really resonated with that one. So one of the stories was we had... VIP clients at one point, and we were, you know, closed for the holidays. It was like a Thanksgiving day, and our, so there was some glitch. I'm not sure, but one of our VIP clients actually booked a cleaning on Thanksgiving day, and we were scrappy. Like the deaf Homejoy was a scrappy team, and instead of canceling or like you know telling the client that we were actually closed that day, Adora, the CEO, and I actually went and our, we went and cleaned that apartment ourselves. <laughs> I like will always remember cleaning a house or cleaning an apartment on Thanksgiving Day with Adora on her hands and knees. It was it was like it was intense and scrappy and everyone was definitely, you know, we lived and breathed it for sure. Hmm. Did you interact much with the cleaners at home Joy? Like what was the Oh yeah. Need? Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to say so I was the operations manager for the Bay Area and I was also kind of, you know, played the role of the city manager. So I onboarded up until like what, maybe for the first year, year and a few months, I onboarded almost every cleaner that came onto the platform from the Bay Area. And then, I, of course, I had um, Pete was my right-hand man, and he ended up taking over the onboarding process. But I interacted with cleaners very closely. In the very beginning, like this is how scrappy we were. This is when there was like less than 20 employees. And a lot of the cleaners actually had my personal cell phone number and would contact me that way. Wow. So I got to know, yeah, I got to know that the like the cleaning staff really, you know, firsthand. I I actually keep in touch with some of them still to this day. Incredible. So I, you know, I formed some seriously, yeah, some uh, close relationships for sure. And this this was one of the companies that was on the ground floor of the gig economy. Did were you starting to feel like there was something new going on there? Because the the it seems I mean this gig economy is shifting how how the entire i mean well certainly in the bay area you know you see this up close and personal yeah. 
and slowly it's propagating to the to the rest of the world. But what do you think of the gig economy, and how how was your opinion of the gig economy being shaped when you were at HomeJoy? Oh, good question. I think it can't be stopped. <laughs> it's growing and growing. It's different when I think of the gig economy now, just like as a whole, versus how it applied to HomeJoy. I think home services in general is it's a huge market, gets a lot of attention from you know entrepreneurs and investors. But it's definitely a tough space. I, you know, it's been a few years, or you know, it's been many years since people really started paying attention to it, and um, I still feel like there's a lot of challenges. And it's because you know, you know, everyone compares like on-demand services with Uber. That's why you always hear like it's the Uber for blank. But home cleaning is just really different than you know having someone drive you from A to B, um, having someone come inside your home, sometimes unattended, giving someone the keys to your sacred place is like a very, it's just like a very different, it requires a lot of trust, a lot more trust than someone driving you. So I think that it's just a, the gig economy in that space is, is particularly complex. And, you know, a lot of the bright people from HomeJoy, from the engineering team actually went on to Google to help tackle home services at Google. And I think, you know, they're making I actually don't know the details, but I know that they've been working hard at it still. And it's just it's just not something as as uh, straightforward as I would say, like transportation. But generally, gig economy is something it's it's a it's a force to be reckoned with. I think more and more people will move towards that. There's a lot of speculation, just you know, looking at millennials who change jobs super often. Um, millennials probably I think it's like I don't know the exact stats, but millennials change jobs almost twice as more frequently than in previous generations. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of ties into that, you know, it's like having short gigs that are easy and flexible and are, it's, it's appealing. So I'm curious to see what it'll be like in, in a couple of decades. Same here. The downfall of HomeJoy was largely due to the classification of the workers as 1099 rather than W-2, if, if I recall. And the... Uh, this did not bring down Uber, or at least hasn't brought down the Uber or Uber-like services yet. Do you, do you know anything about the the what creates a classification of a worker as a uh, a contract worker or a full time worker? Why that was an important distinction, so important that that it kind of crippled the company. Yeah, so I I'm not like I don't know the details exactly. So I you know you might need to fact check me a little bit, but at least I can talk to some of the problems that I faced and saw while I was at HomeJoy. And just so you know, I actually wasn't at home. I actually left HomeJoy before they were closing. So I kind of missed some Mm. of this firsthand. But certainly when you're a 1099 contractor, there's there's just some boundaries there. So for example, how about this? If you're a W-2, you're an employee, you can be trained. You can go through training programs and you can be asked to wear a uniform and that's something that you can't actually do for a 1099 contractor. So when it comes to home, this actually touches into what I was saying before. You know, you're okay getting into an Uber and the driver can be wearing whatever and they can be playing whatever type of music and have, you know, they, you know, you definitely get some of the personality of the driver. But when it comes to home cleaning, I think there was, there's some de- stronger desire for consistency in terms of, you know, people who wanting, wanting to get their homes cleaned. So I think there was some struggle there in terms of making sure that the cleans were consistent without actually training anyone. Hmm. But yeah, there's, I think, to be honest, when it comes down to it, the lawsuits are expensive and Uber has a bigger bank. So yeah, but I mean, people know this too. You can Google it. Uber's definitely had some, you know, has had their fair share of, of, of those problems as well. Yeah, certainly have. So how did the, you know, when you map your history, uh, your experience at HomeJoy to your current situation working on key values, how did the experience there impact your, you know, who you've become as an engineer? Oh, man. Yeah. So when I was at HomeJoy, I was not an engineer. Um, I really what it came down uh, down to was there would be bug fixes. So there was like, let's just say there was a bug and it was affecting all of the cleaners. And of course, if there was a problem with the cleaners, they would contact me. So I would get like 100 people, you know, emails, texts, or calls in some facility. They're telling me that there was a problem, but I couldn't fix it. So I think the way that I would tie it back is HomeJoy is really the place that made me realize that I wanted to learn how to code myself. 
I don't want to rely on someone else to fix a problem. And I think there was like this turning point. I actually remember I, you know, I was managing lots of people and my day was just meetings. There were, you know, there'd be like a full three days where every single half hour was a meeting. And sometimes there are one-on-ones. And I just noticed that like a line of code can have just as much impact, if not more than having a hundred one-on-one meetings. And so I think it was really like, it really planted the seed or just really showed me how powerful coding can be. And really, it was just like, like, I remember just standing behind some of the engineers being like, can someone please fix this, please? Like, it's really easy. I know it's easy for you guys. Can you please do it? And I just felt so powerless. So I think it was just me realizing how, that, like, it was just me figuring out that that was the next career move I wanted to make. Cool. And that's now that's changed for you. You don't have that feeling of powerlessness anymore. Definitely not. I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I know everything. I certainly do not. But I feel empowered to like, I feel confident that I can figure it out based on just knowing where to find the resources or who to ask or what type of question to even ask. It might take me a long time, but I I feel confident that I can figure things out now. Um, Whereas before I I remember the first time at HomeJoy, actually, someone showed me the inspector tool on like, I don't know, they were, you know, on Chrome. And I was like, I genuinely thought they were a wizard. I think I called them wizard from then on out. Actually, I was just like, what is this thing? You just changed the words on this page. How did you do that? So yeah, there's definitely some small things. Like for anyone who's even a little bit interested, there are some really low level, just there's some really basic things you can learn that'll really make you feel so much more powerful, really is the right word. Yeah, agreed. Just to wrap up, if there's a company out there that's interested in getting listed on key values, what should they do? Reach out. They should just reach out. Um, the f- I have a page on key values. It's key values slash submit. Um, it gives you some of the first steps. And really all that is is just figuring out what your eight values are. And then we'll get started in terms of uh, you know uh, writing and qualifying each of those value selections. And, it's, and I'm very hands-on, so if you need help, I'm there. Um, but definitely, if any company is interested, please reach out. Awesome. All right. Well, keyvalues.io, I'm sure people will go check it out. Lynn, Hope so. thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Wow.